This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, look no further than the Ratsaw Review Network. Ratsaw Review is taking over the podcast world with plenty of shows to choose from within their network of entertaining programming, including the flagship show, Ratsaw Review, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and Lou Mavs, as well as occasional co-hosts Manny Mejias and James Lilquist. We also have the official Ratsaw Review spin-offs, such as Album vs. Album, Screams from the Grave, where we discuss beloved yet forgotten hard rock and metal albums of the past, and a King Diamond podcast called This Broadcast Belongs to Them. We've also got Old Man Metal's Musings, the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast with Metal Thrashing Mike, the Team Otoki Podcast featuring Stradivarius and Avalon Foundry, member Timo Toki, the BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, a podcast dedicated to cheesy films of the 1980s with Tara J and Adam, and the Music is Live podcast with Lou Mavs. The Ratsaw Review Network is your go-to one-stop shop for the best podcasts out there today. Go to RatsawReview.com for more info, and to find out where you can find, follow, subscribe, and comment on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and all streaming platforms. The Ratsaw Review Network. We're taking over. Hello, welcome to the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast. I am Metal Thrashing Mike, and today I have with me Mr. Jim Harris from the band Emissary. They have a new album out called The Wretched Masquerade. And uh, I'm going to give Jim a minute here to kind of tell you guys about that album, uh, where we can find him on uh, Emissary on social media, and where we can get their merch. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Doing all right, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so our uh, our social media is basically, uh, we do a lot of Facebook, and that's uh, facebook.com slash emissary metal band. And then all of our merch can be uh, acquired on Bandcamp, which is theoriginalemissary.bandcamp.com. So that's all one word. And then uh, on Instagram, I think it's the underscore original underscore emissary. Um, but you pretty much anybody, if they search the original emissary, uh, they can they can find us because there are a few other bands here and there that um, have the same name. So we always let people know we're the original emissary. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> not not Slayer, but Dragon Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So you know. Yeah. No. You know absolutely. No, I went hunting for a band name for some of my projects and stuff I've been doing, and it's just it's impossible. That's why a lot of your modern bands have names, you know, that are like 12 words. You know? Yeah. And when, you know, when I first came up with the band name, um, there's an interesting history because I had a garage band in Las Vegas in 1989 called Emissary. And at that point, we were the only Emissary around. So, you know, I can I, I can say the original Emissary because of that. And all the other Emissaries that have ever popped up have been after after that project. So when this band formed in early 93 and we put together you know the band that basically you know did the the album uh, the, the current album the wretched masquerade um that's that's when we started uh calling it the original emissary because we noticed there were there were a few others around so um 
let me let me ask you about the new album. Um, kind of going into it as I was going in listening to it. Uh, what were some of the uh, what, what were some of the music you were listening to when you kind of went in to record this, or was this a situation of just sitting and sitting down with an instrument and writing out the riffs and stuff and coming up with things by yourself, not really taking a lot of outside influences. Oh no, we definitely were taking in outside influences. Um, most of this material was written back in the nineties right? when, when the band, when, like I said, when this, this band formed in 93, I met up with Tim Dolan, the guitar player who, uh, we called, we called the moth man. I, I refer to him as moth because he's, the, the the joke there is that it's Timothy, you know, Tim Mothy. So yeah. <laughs> so the second <laughs> syllable of, of Timothy is Moth. So uh, he and I met up and basically I had a bunch of lyrics and some vocal melodies uh, just kind of sitting around. And I wasn't much of a guitar player. So, I mean, I occasionally would come up with a riff here and there, but he was just the riff master. He came in like he's like Scotty and he's just like one of those guys that can just put his hands on a guitar and just come up with something badass. Um, and when, when we met, he was like, here, and he started playing me wrist and I started singing my, you know, he had these wrists already, already written before we met. And I had lyrics already written before we met and they just went together like peanut butter and jelly, you know? Right. Uh, so my, I was, I was listening to a lot of metal church, you know, and then the classics, of course, you know, Metallica and all of that, uh, a lot of, and the band Death Angel, especially the album Act Three. Man, we listened to that pretty much every time we got in his car. It was just Death Angel Act Three. So a lot of the guitar riffs on our album ended up kind of sounding a bit like some of the riffs on Death Angel Act Three. And then, of course, uh, we were listening to things like Flotsam and Jetsam and Annihilator and Sacred Reich and those kind of bands. Basically, the most melodic thrash bands you could think of. Um, and a lot of the bands that are considered, you know, classic U.S. power metal uh, today. Right. And then when we went to record the new album, basically it's just uh, re-recordings of the demos that we did back then. The only song that really was new is the song Hypochondriac, which we had started writing right when the band broke up in 96. And it wasn't a completed idea. So when we got back together and announced our reformation, uh, it was the first thing I said, you know, we got to finish that song that song that we, that we never finished and put that together and put it on the record. And that's sort of the, the new tune on the album. Um, I mean, it still kind of came from an old idea, but everything else was, uh, was stuff that we demoed back in the nineties. Well, I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed hypochondriac that you mentioned it. I'm amazed that you were able to take an idea that you still had from 96 and bring it back into, uh, you know, 2021, 2022. Yeah, it was, it was one of those things I always knew it was a good idea. And I ha always had it on a list, you know, through the years when I, I played in other projects or whatever, I kind of had it on a list. Like it was on the back burner, like, man, I got to finish that song. got to finish that song and never did for whatever reason. And then we, uh, we got back to get together with emissary. Uh, I was like, okay, that this is when we really got to finish that. So I didn't even go back and listen to the old tapes. I haven't listened to the old tapes still of the rehearsals of that song. I just, just kind of went from memory, uh, wrote a few of the lyrics down that I remembered and uh, picked up a guitar and kind of built the framework of of the riffs. And then I gave it to Tim and he changed some things, changed the phrasing on some things and uh, his picking patterns and that kind of thing. And then everybody else uh, threw, their, threw, threw their spice on it. You know, our drummer, Eric Hoover, that 
that played on the record and our bass player, Peter Sean Kinney, um, those guys definitely added their own flavor to the song and it kind of came out the way it did. And I think, uh, I think it turned out good. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I particularly enjoyed the first track on the album and I have to try and remember that the silent treatment. There we go. I really yeah. enjoyed that. Um, you know what? It's funny. Uh, you were mentioning a lot of the American and early power metal and, uh, sort of the melodic thrash and stuff. And I definitely got a lot of that vibe here. I got the heaviness of a lot of the melodic thrash bands, like a, let's say a forbidden or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. But I got kind of a gamma ray vibe from it. You know, the yeah, gamma ray is one of those few instances of a, of a European power metal band that kind of sounds like an American power metal band. I think, you, you know, they don't sound like they don't have the Halloween vibe that a lot of those other bands have, which is funny. Cause Kai came from Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I did, that's exactly. Yeah. And there's, um, man, it's, it's going to escape me. Um, had kind of a new wave uh, of British heavy metal sound to me is what I've always kind of heard, which I guess yeah. it, it translated a lot over to the American sound too. I, I, uh, you started mentioning off bands and I was like, okay, this guy's cool. We got a kind of the same taste in music here. So sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I've got other influences. Um, I, I, I do like some of the new wave of British heavy metal stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tokyo Blade, uh, you know, and then other bands like that. I love Grim Reaper and Stormwitch, and you know, there's a there's a ton ton of hard rock bands that I like. Uh, but when when putting music together for Emissary, I think it was uh, it was a, a focus that we made sure that we wanted all the songs to sound like they belonged on the same album. We didn't want to put eight tunes on the record and have it sound like eight different albums, you know, right. or eight different bands, you know. Right, no, no. Uh, I'll say, well, it, it all does sound very cohesive too. You did a very good job of that. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's very cohesive, but I, I think all the songs do stand out on their own after listening to them. They all have their own sort of vibe and their own sort of sound too. And I, I think that's yeah, like, we, that, that to me makes a good album too. Is it's it's cohesive, but at the same time, every song does not sound exactly the same. You know, it's not the same power metal chug or you know. Yeah, our, when I, we hired our uh, our other guitar player, Charlie Francipane, he'd never played in a band like this, and he wasn't really familiar with the bands or the style of music really at all. He he played in some hard rock bands, and he was a big Van Halen guy, and he he knew a few bands, Fate's Warning, and that kind of thing. But uh, he he found it really uh, really fascinating and you know and interesting that that the songs all sound like different songs, but they all sound like the same band, and I think that uh, that is something that we accomplished on this record that I don't think any two songs, you wouldn't be listening to the silent stream and, and get mixed up and think you're listening to pine box or, no. you know, that kind of thing. No, not at all. I was going to say that the two favorites for me were silent treatment and, uh, probably ruler of defiance. So both very different songs to me. Yeah. Pretty proud that, uh, when the reviews come back, it's interesting that different people like different songs, and every song has been named as somebody's favorite by now. Somebody has said, oh, yeah, my favorite's definitely Crash and Burn. Or, you know, and another review will say, uh, the standout track here is In Solitude. Or another one says Out of Reach, you know, like that. And uh, Chemical Hatred. Uh, di different, different songs can be different people's uh, favorite song. Uh, so we know we don't have just two standout tracks and then a bunch of filler. Right. Now, I, I think for me, usually with an album, it, um, in particularly something like this, you know, it comes to me and if the first track doesn't really hit me hard, 
I kind of have a hard time getting through the rest of the album, even if the rest of the album is just killer, you know? Right. And uh, you definitely nailed it with going into the album. This is definitely a good song to start an album with. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. The Silent Treatment always felt like that was kind of our anthem. That was the song that if you were to judge the rest of the tunes by one and say, okay, this is what the band sounds like. And you just, what does Emissary sound like? You have to play one song for them. I think the Silent Treatment is the one that, that lets people know this is what the band sounds like. And you're going to get more of this, uh, as you know, if you listen, like we, we shouldn't have started the record with, I don't know, crash and burn or something, you know, like something that sounds like, okay, you don't get a good idea of the entire, the entire vibe from, from, some of the other songs as you do uh, with the silent treatment. Right. No, no, as much as, uh, you know, let's say I love the wizard. I wouldn't want to hear it as the opening track of black Sabbath. Yeah. You know, there's, and there's plenty of songs that opening tracks that I think were a, a poor choice. Um, and I'll, I'll just say, I don't know, Cinderella night songs. That first opening track isn't a good example of what the rest of the album sounds like. You know, the song night songs. It's great. Uh, you know, I'm a fan uh, of that record. I don't like any of the rest of the Cinderella stuff, but I, I do like that one album. But I just think that opening song is kind of like it doesn't really set the tone for what the album is going to sound like. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think kinda, that's important. I, I kind of had a similar situation with uh, as much as I love Sabotage, like uh, Fight for the Rock for me just always falls flat because the first track just doesn't pull me in, you know. Yep, uh, Y&T, uh, what's the album, In Rock We Trust? I think the first track is Rock and Roll's Gonna Save the World. Yeah. Not a great opening track. Um, Iron Maiden, Invaders, not a great opening track. You know, like there's, it's not even one of the strongest songs on the record. So to open an album with something like that, it's sort of like, wow, this seems like it should be like buried in the middle of side two or something. You see, that's funny because I've always been the exact opposite of that. I, I'm the minority on that and I actually love Invaders. <laughs> I've, I've heard that. I've heard both sides, you know, and I, I know it's, it's not a popular opinion, but it's one of those. It sounds like Maiden. But to me, when I hear that song, I just when other songs come up on on that record, I feel like, oh, man, this should have opened the album, you know. Right. I don't think it should have been left off. I just don't. I, I, it always felt to me that it wasn't the perfect opener. Right. So like Ace is High. Ace is High is. Or is Ace is High the first song on Power Slave? Or is it? Yeah. Yeah, I, it's Ace is High. high. In yeah, it's Ace is High. That's a killer opener. Yeah, that's a perfect opener. That to me, I think they really nailed it on that one. Yeah, you're gonna be or hard. the Hellion, the Hellion Electric Eye. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, no, no. Screaming for Vent. I don't think a Priest album to me had a bad opener though. I just think that I think that sequencing is more important than a lot of people think. You know, when the song comes up on the album, at what point in the story is that somebody's listening to the record? If it was a story. You know what I mean? Um, sort of like, uh, I don't mean like Operation Mindcrime, like a like a concept album, but yeah, no, like a like a story, like almost like a movie. You know, like where uh, where you introduce certain characters or whatever in, in the person's mind. You know, like it it needs to go fast when the person wants to it to go fast, and you know, the listener wants it to to let off a little bit here and there. I think that uh, you know, action movies is a is a great analogy for that. You know, I mean, the the car chase scene has to be exactly at the whatever it is, the 47 minute mark, you know, and you got to, you know, introduce the, the conflict and you got to have the resolution at a certain time. And, you know, it's, things have to happen ex exactly when the, when the, the person taking it in the viewer or the listener 
sort of wants that to happen. And that's, I, I think, imperative to make sure that your songs are in the right order. You could take some of the best albums and if you mix the songs up and put them in a different order, it does, the album wouldn't, wouldn't flow as well. Yeah, no, I mean, even something like, let's say something that's full speed, you know, full blast almost all the way through, like uh, Rain and Blood, even it's got, you know, criminally insane and it slows down for a bit. Right. It had to yeah, have that short moment. <laughs> yeah. We, we put Ruler of Defiance on the record. We slapped it right in the middle of the record because it's the only song that goes double time for almost the whole time. So it felt like, well, we don't want it to be the first song on the record and then everybody's going to expect that fast, fast, fast through the rest of the record and then they don't, they don't get the thing that they want. You know, you put it right in the middle. That way it's not uh, a closing track or an opening track. You know, you put it right, right smack dab in the middle. No, it's very much like a, how, a, let's say, uh, here comes the nerd part of this, guys. How uh, a comic artist has to panel out a comic book, you know, how they have to tell action sequences and stuff through the, the drawings themselves and the panels, you know. Dude, I've never, ever heard that analogy. And that is amazing. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. You look at somebody like Jack Kirby from the 60s and his sequencing and panels and stuff is amazing. Or you look at uh, Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen's work on uh, Daredevil from the late 70s, early 80s. And the sequencing on that stuff is almost movie-like. Yeah. You know, so there's, yeah, there's definitely awesome. artists. and it, it, it all very much applies to each other. It's like, here's another example. I tell people a lot of times, like, if I got a very new and young act that does, hasn't done a lot of these, I tell them, look, I say, look at this, what you're doing here on this podcast, like you're a professional wrestler. They have to sell their character. That's what you're doing. You're selling you yourself and your music as a character. So you kind of, you know. Yeah, I, uh, I ran a record store for many years. And one of the things that I saw happening a lot, uh, and it was just because of, you know, standing behind that counter, selling records all day. Uh, I saw plenty of up and coming bands that had a lot going on. Like they had some good, good stuff going on, but they got one thing wrong. Like say it was a, I don't know, a power metal band, right? And they're independent and they release their own CD, but their logo looks like a death metal band. Right. Or, you know, that kind of thing where you look at the packaging and you go, I can't tell what this sounds like because of the way it looks. You know, you think that it's going to sound one way or the other. And people would come up with, you know, the death metal guys would bring that record up and, and buy it. And it was a power metal record. They'd take it home. They'd listen to it, hate it, bring it back and go, man, this was like a bait and switch. They got all the, the thorny unreadable logo i was expecting some norwegian black metal or whatever and it sounds like fucking judas priest or something yeah i tell people Oops, all I, the time I, I swore can i can i swear yeah fuck i don't care okay cool no i tell people all the time uh i had the same situation with ghost <laughs> you know i was expecting uh you know the adams family mansion and i got barbie's dream house mm, that's funny not knocking them too bad if that's the thing everybody's into you know that's cool and all it just did not work for me. Like, I was expecting King Diamond, Merciful Fate, or, you know, something along those lines. They kind of had that in the beginning. Um, personally, you know, I'm, I'm sort of turned off by the, all the satanic stuff. Um, I'm just not that kind of guy. It's, you know, maybe when I was 14, you know, and it was like, oh, cool, and Rudy Crosses or whatever. And, but all the anti-Christian sentiment, you know, to me, especially in, in a band that sounds like that, that's a little bit more pop and hard. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I like pop infused hard rock. I mean, I like I like pop music. Um, I mean, not all pop music. You know, I, I like 
some some stuff that sounds like it gets played on the radio or whatever. So to me, uh, something that sounds like that and then has all that all, all that uh, evil stuff, you know, it's just kind of like it. Yeah, it doesn't really work for me. But I get it. I get why it's popular. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, like a hell. I guess I'd call it probably like Twilight. <laughs> Sure, it's something to sell to the masses to make them think that they're being edgy. It's horror, but it's not horror. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's never worked for me, but hey, each their own. Right. I don't want to sit here and knock a band too much on the podcast. Sure. Yeah, and it's it's fine. It's I I I don't I don't I don't hate Ghost at all. I mean, I saw them with Iron Maiden, and I just I it was just very meh for me. It was like yeah. This just sounds like something that somebody else is into. You know, I'm I'm that kind of person. Again, working at a record store for so long, I don't think really any music sucks necessarily. Um, a lot of it, I just think like, yeah, this this isn't this doesn't do the thing that I want music to do. This is this sounds like I'm listening to somebody else's favorite album. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I get that completely. I there's been so much music over the years that people try to show me, and I'm just like, ah, it's just not working, bro. And then I yeah. I think the thing that turns me off with a lot of those, you know, people that show me stuff, uh, I guess you probably have the same situation, is they want to show you this, but God forbid you show them something. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, I can't show you the Blind Guardian album after you made me sit through a ghost album. <laughs> <laughs> right. Far too familiar situation. So uh, let me kind of ask you, you know, speaking about different types of music and stuff like that, you know, you broke up in 96. Um I know that had a lot to do with the grunge alternative and new metal movements. Uh, what, what was the situation like at that point in time? Uh, just from your perspective, because you know, just having that little bit of history right there, it'd be nice to talk about here on the podcast to me. Sure. Um, so we're in the Pacific Northwest. So this is, we're in Southern Oregon. So we're not exactly in, you know, Portland's about a five hour drive from here. We're, we're next to the California border. So we're, we're kind of an anomaly because in the early nineties, all the big cities had already, you know, switched over or whatever. Uh, people, people were already listening to the new stuff that was coming out and the new sound and all of that. And we, we came around, we're in sort of a smaller town. So it was a little bit behind the times. So we were able to kind of sneak in and still play stuff that sounded like it was from the late eighties and, and be accepted. But by the time, 96 rolled around 95 i'd say we were playing gigs and they had turned metal into what they called aggressive hard rock so uh, the we try to book the show and say we were a metal band and they would advertise it as an aggressive rock show huh. metal was like a curse word uh around these parts because i mean seattle's just up the street you know right just up i5 which is the hub of where everything was happening so when that started to bleed over into where we were, it was, we, we found ourselves going, okay, we're going to either have to buy into this and start doing things that the kids expect. Do the, uh, the helmet style guitar riffs or the Alice in Chains style vocals or add the, you know, the distorted telephone voice that everybody had on everything, you know, and we, we, we kind of started experimenting a little bit with some of that just so we could get these wallet chain kids to, to come to our show, you know, the, the skateboard kids that were, they were all about white zombie or, or even Nirvana or whatever started dressing a little bit differently. And, uh, we realized that we were abandoning the original idea of the band. And I think it was, 
it was it was pretty obvious that it was time. It was it was it was time to to put it to rest that emissary wasn't going to be a thing anymore. Right now, um, I can definitely understand that logic. Um, kind of moving from scene to scene, especially with the way music is. But uh, you know, on the upside, you look at music now, and I, I think metal itself is so diverse now, and we all accept it as such a diverse thing as fans of it, that I sure. mean, you can do just about anything now. Absolutely. And I think that the new wave of traditional heavy metal has a lot to do with that. And a lot of people, you know, scoff at that and say it's not a real movement or whatever. I think it's absolutely a movement. Uh, one of the things about the record store that I worked at was uh, we had an all-ages music venue attached to it. And I started seeing bands come through. Uh, and you had a lot of, you know, the death metal bands and, and, and the sludge and all this kind of thing. And everything had some kind of alternative 90s thing attached to it. And then bands like Night Demon and Cauldron and Enforcer started coming through. And it was like, whoa, these kids are coming in with Bang's haircuts and they're they're playing white flying V guitars, playing shredding guitar solos and singing about witches and dragons. And they've got the tight pants. And, and you're like, going, these, these guys are just straight up, you know, mimicking my favorite music. The stuff that that I grew up on, you know, their favorite stuff is Crocus and Queensryche or whatever. And black and blue, and they know all the, the metal massacre records. And it, I felt like finally it came back around because it was a huge blow to me. I graduated high school in 1990. Yeah. And by the time I was able to buy a PA and start joining bands, or whatever, I was auditioning for bands. Everybody wanted the singing to be that, either the, the death metal growls or the Eddie Vedder low voice, you know, and I was kind of singing high and powerful and, you know, like old school metal. And people were like, dude, you're so eighties, you know, I was still dressing like the eighties. And so it was, it, it was really disheartening to me to, to like have to give that up for 20 years, you know, when metal was the most mocked thing in the universe. Um, all the big bands lost their record deals. I mean, Iron Maiden ended up on CMC, you know, I mean, it, these bands that were arena bands were playing clubs uh, because everybody had traded it in for Candlebox or whatever. Right. And Ugly Kid Joe or whatever. And and I just wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to become a grunge guy or become an indie rock guy. I'm, I moved to Portland in 96 when the band broke up. And I you could go five days a week and go and see three bands at, at a club. And they all were clearly trying to be Everclear. Um, and that was, that was a thing where it was like, okay, I'm, I got a sweater and I'm, you know, whatever, singing low and playing an ugly guitar and there's no guitar solos. And I'm just like, oh man, everybody cut their hair short. I was going, man, I'm, I'm just not going to do this. I mean, I'll, I'll just wait. I'll just sit and wait for it to come back around and never thinking that it actually would. And then when I saw the bands coming through, um, my, uh, my venue and started booking these bands, I was like, okay, it w didn't have a name yet. We just knew it as the resurgence. It was like, oh, there's a resurgence of 80s bands coming through. Didn't know how long it was going to last or if it was going to grow. And next thing you know, there's this uh, amazing YouTube channel and it's just every day posting new albums that are coming out that sound like the stuff that I grew up with. So it was uh, it was pretty obvious that, that metal was taking a turn and was going to come back at least a little bit in popularity. I had another band for a while called Silent Storm and we were a little bit more of a European vibe. And then that was that fell through we did we did a couple records and then um the pandemic hit and all of our all of our touring opportunities fell out from underneath us and my guys jumped ship 
they all joined up with a, uh, a Led Zeppelin tribute band so they could go and play like casinos and resorts. And I, you know, I gave my blessing, like, okay, go do your thing. You know, I, I get it. There's nothing here for you. And when that, when that was falling through, Emissary was reforming. Well, thankfully, cause you did put out a great album. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, you can trail some of that back too. Um, I'm a good bit younger. You know, you graduated high school in 1990. I, I think I graduated in 2006, but around my time, you know, in high school in particular, I remember there being a, a certain type of metal movement that was moving back towards guitar solos and stuff. You know, you had bands like Shadows Fall and Lamb of God. And, you know, Lamb of God, for instance, when uh, Ashes of the Wake came out, you know, they had Chris Poland and Alex Skolnick do guest guitar solos on there. So you saw that come back. And then you had like uh, like the Testament reunion tour. And they kind of went back to more traditional sound. The bands like Creator, who had been experimenting with industrial and things like that, came back to more of their classic sound with like Enemy, Enemy of God. Mm hmm. And now, uh, you know, as we've gone further into that from that or from that time, uh, you know, you've definitely seen more of the traditional metal, metal comeback. You know, you're talking about like Enforcer and stuff like that. Um, uh, I think there's another band, uh, Eternal Champion. They're one mm -hmm. of them. You know, you've seen a lot of bands come back like that. So you definitely hit the perfect time to put out the Emissary album. Yeah, I don't think that Emissary really falls into that same category as those um, the Dungeons and Dragons bands. You know, no. we don't really... We don't we don't fit completely in that, uh, and I think that that probably helps that we wrote this material without with without the new wave of traditional heavy metal being in mind because we wrote it you know a long time ago. All, all these new recordings are basically just cleaned up recordings of stuff that we wrote 25 years ago. So we put it out now, and it's it's genuinely authentic. It's it's something that we wrote uh, that we wanted to write, not trying to write oh because this is popular because that's popular. So. Um Outside of the Wretched Masquerade and following up past that, can we expect another Emissary album? Or are you currently working on any new material? Yeah, uh, we have we have a few new songs that we're demoing right now. Um, we're talking about getting back in the studio with Doug Hill, who produced this album. He's He's got uh, credits in records by um, Mastodon, and he, uh, he recorded the, new, the newest Helmet record. For Sony and um, worked with Scott Kelly from Neurosis, and he's he's been in the business for a long time and 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 done a lot of great work. And when we said we were doing this new record, he messaged me uh, and said, "You know, I hope you hire me to to do the new record." And I think he did a great job on this. And we've been talking to him about about a follow up. And we've we've got a couple of couple of tunes that we've got, you know, pretty much finished. And another handful of tunes that are, you know, in pieces and parts sitting around. But we're just promoting this right now and 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 hoping to uh, maybe get some get some live opportunities, maybe do some of the festivals overseas or, uh, you know, take part in in some of that kind of thing. You know, just participate more in, in this heavy metal thing that's happening since since the all the pandemic stuff is, I think, over at this point, hopefully. Right. Uh, I actually, uh, I had COVID last week, so <laughs> oh, man. I'm Sorry not the to person that. to ask. <laughs> no, right. it's, uh, yeah. it's going around. It's mutating. The last one was a little bit, this last recent one to me was a little bit more like, uh, uh, slightly worse flu. Right. You know, I had it twice too. The first time was awful. I uh, had it the really bad way. And then I had it the, yeah, the, the way that sort of like had my cold for a week. 
Yeah, I, I think I caught it three. I think this is my third time catching it. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been fun. Thankfully, I quit, I quit smoking, thankfully. So, you know, it, it wasn't as rough this hey, time. Hey, me too. Hey. Yeah. You see, you weren't supposed to be doing that anyway. You're a fucking singer. <laughs> I know, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's... It's uh, you know I don't I don't drink alcohol and I don't do hard drugs or anything. It's like man I just had I had it, my Nick fix was 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 my was 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 my crutch for a long time and and then yeah once once I got sick with COVID the first time it was like wow this is no fun at all because I can't taste it and it just makes me cough so so I quit. No, that's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, it it, it was kind of rough quitting at first, but um, you know you're sitting there with King Diamond now because. He smoked for how many years, and then he quit after his cancer surgery. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So, hey, congratulations! <laughs> now, just keep 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 at it, man. Keep at it. You keep at it, and I'll one, do the same. Yeah, one day at a time, right? Right, one day at a time. Don't let anything stress you out too much. That's hard to say being in a band, <laughs> right? But yeah, this album is still coming out on uh, on vinyl before the end of the year. It's out on CD now. Uh, Underground Power Records in Germany. Uh, we put that out. We put out an independent version on cassette, and it's out digitally all over the world. And it seems to be getting a getting a lot of positive response. So, see, you um, said my word. You said vinyl. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Let me know uh, when it comes out on vinyl, and I will order a copy. Yeah, we already did the layout and you know the the design of the you know little paper ring on the on the the record and there's there's two versions of it coming out on vinyl just like the CD there was two different versions there's a deluxe version that has a bonus disc of of old the old demos remastered the vinyl is going to be the same deal where it has uh, the, the regular black vinyl will be the standard eight song release and there'll be a red vinyl that has a little a CD in in the cover where you'll the, the album on vinyl and then you'll get a bonus disc cd of of the original 90s demos remastered and that's coming out on underground power records awesome so um are those going to be those they'll be available there through underground power records yep okay yeah, and i'm sure they'll be available at storm spell records uh that's my old record label from when i was in silent storm um and yeah they'll, they'll be you know there'll be tons of districts that, that have copies of that Okay, cool. Yeah, just let me know when it comes out, and I'll uh, get a copy and let everybody else know that it's out. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, man, uh, I like to end the podcast with uh, one question. I like to find out uh, my guests' hobbies. Uh, do they have any hobbies outside of music that they really enjoy? Man, I'm uh, I'm I'm not much of a hobby guy. It's it's weird. Like the other guys in the band, they sit around and they they talk about sports and they know that you know whatever that. that I've been in bands with guys that are into, uh, I don't know, race cars or, or whatever. And it's just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just a music nerd. I'm, I'm just all about the metal. And, uh, I, I collect, I collect stuff and I, I did radio for a long time and I've been a publicist and I've, uh, journalist written for several publications doing record reviews and interviews with bands and all that kind of thing. So I'm always, I'm always doing something with music. So I guess I'm a hobbyist when it comes to music stuff, but just across the board, I've, I've been a promoter, um, booking concerts and that kind of thing. So yeah, all my hobbies kind of revolve around, revolve around music. No, that's perfectly fine. Once again, I'm a vinyl collector. So I, cool. you know, vinyl and guitars, that's what I collect. 
Awesome. You're a guitarist? Yeah, yeah. I've played since I was 12 years old. Not wow. made a not made a dime off it yet. <laughs> well, you know, even if you get into a you know a band like ours, you know, what I mean, it's like you don't really make you don't really make money because I mean, pretty much anything any money that comes in from merchandise or from shows or any of that, it just goes right back in. You know, it just goes into the band fund. The next time we need to uh, print T-shirts or whatever, you know, it's people people think you know, maybe when you're on a record label that it's that it's different. It's not. It's not really any different. I mean, it's pretty much just being an indie band with with a little bit more visibility. Right. So, well, uh, as a, you know, uh, a collector of music and such like that, I'm sure you've picked up some great pieces of memorabilia over the years. Is there a certain piece of music memorabilia or a classic record that you own or anything like that that really stands out in your collection? Oof. That's a new question. Memorabilia. Um, uh, I always like to throw think. new questions at people. <laughs> sure. No, that's a great question. I would say... You know, there's there's very few things that um, like I'm not an autograph guy. I don't I don't get things signed. Um, I, it's just a, it's I, I just I had this weird thing about it. I don't like scribbling all over my records. So I mean I'll I'll, I'll meet bands or whatever, and I just want to talk to them and and shake their hand and you know and last several years has been you know get a picture with them or whatever. But I don't I don't have them sign things. I I see a lot of people that have this record signed and this poster signed and they have, you know, our, our guitar player, uh, Moth, he, he has a, he sells music memorabilia and he's got tons of like stage worn clothes and, and, and signed things and all this kind of stuff. So I don't really, I don't really collect like that. I don't collect anything that necessarily has value that would be, that would be like, Whoa, I can't believe you have that thing that nobody else has or whatever. Like for example, if, if I get a if I get a bootleg CD of something that's the rare, like I got I have a rare CD, and it's you know whatever it's worth a hundred dollars. I mean I'll I'll get a bootleg of it that cost me twenty dollars and I'll sell the original because I would rather have music to listen to and I'd rather have the hundred bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. So yeah, not much. I mean it's just little little pieces of things here and there. I've got. Uh, you know, I got a guitar pick. I got an Anthrax guitar pick and a Testament guitar pick and a Lizzie Borden guitar pick, things like that. You know, just it's scattered here and there. Um, got a few things signed. One of the few, one of the few things that I do have signed that uh, that's kind of an interesting story. I'm not a Pantera fan necessarily. Okay, I mean, and I mean the the tough guy era of Pantera. I, I like the early material, the stuff yeah. that very few people know about. Well, more people know about it nowadays. Now that uh, everyone's talking about Pantera again because of the Zach Wild, uh, you know, the reunion with, with Charlie Dante and all that. Yeah. But I was thinking just the other day, you know, I've got uh, I've got a signed photo, a black and white press photo of the band because I met them backstage. I guess it had to have been 96. And the, sto- the story that goes along with that was that I was the only person in the room that knew about that early material. So I walk up to Rex and I said, I said, hey, man, been a fan since the Metal Magic days. And he signs my thing. He doesn't even he doesn't make eye contact. He hands it back. He goes, yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no. I stood there and I go, are you kidding me? I've been a fan longer than anybody else in the room. And he just goes, he just goes, what? And, and he kind of like he got like offended that I even brought it up, you know, and which and then we exchanged insults for a few minutes. It was uh it was pretty ugly. I was, I, I walked away going, man, I, I don't get along with that guy. And then, uh, walk over to Vinnie Paul 
And I said, hey, Power Metal, greatest album to date. And he just kind of rolls his eyes, signs my thing, and then goes back to talking to the chick he's trying to get to go back on the bus with him. Just super bummed, like, like what's going on? I want to talk to these guys about the early material. Still didn't come out to the, to the, to the meet and greet. I still won't have his autograph. But then I walk over to Dime, and Dime's standing there. He's got a million people around him, and he's playing uh, double platinum on a boombox. And as he's signing things, he looks up and he peers through the crowd and he sees me lip syncing along with like ladies room or something or whatever, something that was like not a, a hit necessarily. So he knew, you know, I was, I knew my kiss and he looks at me, he goes, a fellow kiss man, get over here, man. He pulls me over and, and he pulls his sleeve up and he shows me his Ace Fraley tattoo. And, and we start talking. I, I said, you know, I talked to, tried to talk to the other guys about uh, the early material. And he goes, yeah, they don't like talking about that stuff, man. And uh, he said, but uh, he goes, I'm proud of that, that early stuff. And I said, dude, I said, I said, your guitar solo on Will Meet Again. And he points at me and goes, that's my favorite one. That's the, my favorite guitar solo I've ever recorded, man. And it was like, he made it all better. And I walked away going, that is the coolest motherfucking rock star I've ever met. And he's in a band with guys that wouldn't even talk to me about, you know, that early material. And uh, so I, I, that, that story is kind of, goes along with the with the autographed picture that I have. So I guess that's kind of an interesting piece of memorabilia that, that I have. And it's got my backstage pass sticker on it, you know, and got their autographs. Occasionally, now, I'll just come across it and remember that story. He always had such a, such a, you know, history of being a very outgoing and friendly person, too, to people. Like, he was, when you hear the stories about Pantera, he's always the coolest one, for sure. Oh, yeah, just a down-to-earth, just a regular dude that you could tell he's just a headbanger that wanted to chat with other headbangers and people were asking about his guitars, and he was never, he never acted like put off or that he was being burdened to talk to people or anything like that. He wanted to talk to every single person that walked up and get a picture with them and sign their stuff and talk about Kiss, and it was just like, wow, this is like a dude that I would want to hang out with. Right. You know. Well, he always had a good reputation for that. Um, I know, like, in particularly, like, one story I heard, he did an autograph signing at a music store, and uh, a kid was, like, asking his dad, like, hey, uh, can you get me this guitar? And he's like, maybe for Christmas. And Dime looked back at him, and he's like, dude, it's fucking May. <laughs> so, and the dad's like, man, I ain't got any money. So by the end of the end of the, end of the whole thing, Dime had actually bought the kid uh, a guitar, you know, just wow. little stuff like that you hear about people. He was like, you never know. That could be the next Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. I, I learned a long time ago, you don't want to, um, you don't want to piss the fans off. No. Um, and there's, you know, there's been times where, you know, somebody rushed me, you know, whatever, a long time ago, you know, just being in a local band that everybody knows about, you know, and you're, you're sick or whatever. And you're just, you're just trying to, you know, pay for your thing at the store and get out of there, you know, go back home and somebody comes up and goes, Hey man, you're the emissary guy. Hey, I saw you guys live and they, you know, and, and they want to, they want to chat you up when you're, when you're busy or whatever. And you just go, yeah, that's cool, man. I'll, I'll see you later. You know, like, sorry, busy, you know, and later that person's pissed off. Right. You, you hear about that. You know, they're, they're telling their friends, that guy's a dick or whatever. Um, you know, they think you're being Bay or something like, like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the kind of person would go, you know, that would just, say, you know, like, hey, can I get an autograph? You know, and the rock star goes, fuck off, you know. Right. It's like, you don't want to be that guy. 
Yeah, no, Ingve uh, was a great example. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's it's like that all the time, but uh, I've definitely heard enough stories, uh, lots of different stories over the years from lots of different people about him yeah, behaving in a way that, that people walk away going, yeah, I don't like that dude. And even Mustaine in the early days too, you know, when he was all strung out or whatever, he'd, you know, he'd be a dick to people and you'd hear about it. Well, that guy was pissed 24-7 anyway, so. <laughs> right. Seems like he's he's quite a bit more mature now. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I had a friend that actually got to meet him and like because David brought his family to a, a signing, too, where Dave was signing up in like Nashville or some shit. And my friend just out of the blue walked up to one of Dave's kids and started talking to him. Next thing you know, he's hanging out with him and the kids and Dave Mustaine and his whole family. So, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have thought to walk up to Dave's kid. But, you know, that's just yeah. that's just me. But, hey, man, I appreciate your time. Um, just one more time here. Let everybody know where we can find your music right now and where we can find you on social media. Yep. So on Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash Emissary Metal Band. So it's just Emissary Metal, like straight through, you know, E-M-I-S-S-A-R-Y-M-E-T-A-L-B-A-N-D. And then if you look up the original Emissary on Instagram, I again, I think that it's the underscore original underscore emissary. Um, and then on Bandcamp, that's where you can get all of our merchandise. That's the original emissary.bandcamp.com. And we're available on all of the platforms. You know, you can get our music on Spotify and Apple Music and, uh, you know, all iTunes and Amazon Music and all of that. So, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. Well, hell yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for listening today. Uh, be sure and follow me on Twitter at Mike Thrashing. You can find me on Instagram as the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast and the same with Facebook. It's just the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast. If you got time, be sure and go over to my YouTube channel. I just recently uploaded a video with Andy Dowling from the band Lord. Him and I had an interview. Uh, there's a great interview with Sean Peck on there as well from the band, um, from the band's Cage, Death Dealer, and the 900 bands he's with. We're just talking comics, but, you know, fun stuff. So be sure and check that out. Once again, Jim, thanks for joining me. Guys, be sure and go Absolutely. check out Emissary. That's the original Emissary. And be sure and check out that they're going to have a vinyl copy of Wretched Banquet coming, or Wretched Masquerade coming out. So, guys, peace. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, man. No problem. Appreciate it.